is work so important to God? Oh man, this is a really good question. Um, most foundationally, number one, because we worship a God who works, mm. right? And we're made in his image. We can't understand why work is good for us until we understand that work is fundamental to God's character. Literally, the first verb in scripture is created. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God was productive. In the beginning, God worked. And this is unique in the history of world religions. Every other religion says that the gods created human beings to do the work of the world and to serve the gods. Only Christianity starts with the God who rolls up his sleeves and plants a garden in the EC Genesis 2. Only Christianity starts with the God who works. Welcome to the Legacy Roadmap Podcast, your ultimate guide for creating a lasting legacy as an entrepreneur. Whether you're an ambitious entrepreneur or a seasoned business owner, our podcast offers insightful conversations with successful entrepreneurs and experts who have navigated the path of legacy creation. We explore topics that matter to you, personal responsibility, financial growth, leadership, and succession planning. Our goal? To equip you with practical insights and strategies that help you transition from simply running your business to building a legacy. Join us each week as we delve into purposeful discussions aimed at positively impacting future generations. Your journey towards leaving a lasting legacy starts right here, right now. Let's dive in. Does your business serve homeowners? If so, you need to know about HOA.com, the number one referral network for professionals who serve homeowners. And we're looking for quality contractors and home service pros that we can recommend and refer to homeowners in your area. Not only will you get promoted on the HOA.com website, you'll get business from other certified pros and premier pros in your market. These people serve homeowners every day, so we help you build referral partnerships that keep referrals coming to your business for years to come. Go to HOA.com slash pro now and get started. Are you an entrepreneur or business owner? If so, you need to know about the Achieve Systems Business Building Membership. We are one of the best referral-based communities that wants to refer you. We help generate you thousands of leads per year. We also provide you an incredible mentorship program that has won many awards. We don't stop there. We have 60 plus opportunities to take your business to the next level, like authoring and publishing books and many, many more. Go to AchieveSystemsPro.com and get started today. Do you want to make more money in your business? Most business owners focus on building revenue. That's not enough. Building profits is what feeds your family, and almost no business owner understands how to build profit without building revenue. I can show you with near-perfect accuracy the exact business growth strategies that will generate the most revenue for your business in the shortest amount of time, focused on building profit. Learn more at bizlife.coach. I'm excited about today's guest. He's the leading voice of the faith and work movement. Jordan Rayner has best-selling books, The Creator and You, Redeeming Your Time, Master of One, Called to Create. He also is the Mere Christians podcast, and his weekly devotionals. Through them, Jordan has helped millions of Christians in every country on earth connect the gospel to their work. Jordan's been twice selected as a Google Fellow, served in the White House under President George W. Bush. He's a sixth-generation Floridian. 
Jordan lives in Tampa with his wife and their three young daughters. The Rainers are proud members of the church at Odessa. Jordan Rainer and Robert talk about faith and work, the value of work. We also discuss Jordan's upcoming book, The Sacredness of Secular Work. Jordan's newest book really elevates work. God worked and he created us to work. Work is honorable and kingdom building. We also talk a little bit about his book called The Create, which helps artists and entrepreneurs believe that they were called to create as God was the first creator. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Looking forward to uh, learning and growing. Hey, Robert, me too. I'm excited to be here. All right, Jordan, we start every episode just with our guests sharing their view of legacy. What does legacy mean to you? Ooh, legacy for me is really couched in the context of eternity and doing things in this life that um, have an echo on the other side of the thin veil separating heaven and earth. You know, when I think about legacy, I think about the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, to always give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so I'm trying to do as much as I can uh, for my work not to be in vain. And thankfully, Scripture's definition of what's not in vain is a lot broader than church culture. That's really what I'm I'm, I'm thinking a lot about these days with the release of this uh, this new book that I'm putting out. Yeah, well, love the new book. I'm gonna I'm gonna steal back to the old book just to to uh, say love it. instead of foundation, because I shifted from the ministry space into the entrepreneur space, um, and and it took me a long time to figure out how those callings fit together for me. And I really came to recognize that my work in South America, my work in, in ministry in Colorado, that money was always the problem, <laughs> that that poverty at whatever level, right, what, whatever level was, was part of the problem. And the church was not addressing it in any way. So people got baptized on Sunday and they and they went to they went back to their regular job on Monday and their lives ultimately on a material level never changed and the church didn't really want to address the material it wanted to address the secular i mean the spiritual yep. and and stay in the spiritual space and so i there was always this disconnect for me like i wanted people's lives to change and be transformed and experience this promise that jesus made that says i came to give them life and give it to them abundantly and and yet most people don't experience that or or feel that and so i loved called to create yeah. And seeing God as the first creator yeah. and, and, and that the connection to entrepreneurship in creating as creators and creating something out of nothing, creating solutions for humanity. I love, I love people that have taken an idea or a problem that exists in humanity. And, and I love your idea of, uh, so for me, it was, it goes back to scouts, right? Our, our, I, our first lesson in scouts was leave it better than you found it. And then I, I tied that on to adding value and named my company after Paul's, you know, exclamation to the Thessalonians that encourage one another and build each other up as, as human beings were called to make each other better. I, I believe that. And you've taken it a step further when you talked about make the earth more useful for human beings. Like, so it's not just serving each other and making each other better, but we can actually make the planet better in alignment with that. And so all kinds of great stuff. So I just, I wanted to thank you for called to create yeah. <laughs> and, and I, and I love that. And I love that the step you're taking now to, 
to bring the sacredness into the workspace and, and honor work in a way that we don't. We don't honor work. We don't we don't feel like there's a connection between humanity and our work. Most people are just working to survive. And so so love that that you're 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 taking <laughs> elevating work to its rightful place. And 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 I think how God would honor work. He created us to work with our hands. Yeah. It, it, listen, I think God cares a whole lot more work, a, a whole lot more about our work than most pastors do. God hmm. certainly talks about work a whole lot more than most pastors and religious professionals do. In fact, work is mentioned more than worship in the Bible. Um, you know, and it's interesting. I, you pointed out called the create and really this new book, the sacredness of secular work is just an extension and building upon and further clarification of what I wrote about five years ago with called the create. Right. Um, the, we talk so much in our churches about the great commission as we should, the great commission is indeed great. It's a non-optional command for every follower of Jesus, but it's only half of our dual vocation. And the other half is found in Genesis 1, after God spends six days, however you want to interpret days, creating and revealing his character. He says, hey, let's make mankind in our image. We only know one thing about the image of God at this point. It's like he's a God who creates. And why is God going to create us in his, in, in his image? So that we may rule, so that we may fill the earth and subdue it. Essentially, Wayne Grudem, who edited the ESV Bible, says this first commission text of Genesis 1, 26 through 28, is simply a call to make this earth more useful for other human beings' benefit hmm. and enjoyment. And isn't that what entrepreneurs do every day? Isn't that what my barista does every single day and what the manufacturers of this microphone and this laptop do and what mothers and fathers do changing diapers? We are making the earth more useful for other human beings' benefit and enjoyment. And because that first commission is the only commission never, ever retracted, all literally, all the way from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, we see it on both of these pages, that means that our work with the material world, not just the spiritual world of saving souls, our work with this earth matters deeply to God and in the words of Paul, as we already mentioned, is not in vain. Somehow it contributes to God's eternal future with us. Oh, and, and it's so powerful. I, I love that in, in Call to Create, you honor the artist and the and the creators that 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 we kind of set aside and we say, get a real job. But even in telling people to get the real job, we don't honor the job. We don't honor work. Like most people are simply working because they they feel they have to, right? They're enslaved to a job and we've made work this evil thing that we have to tolerate Monday through Friday to get to the weekend. And yet the majority of people spend more time at work, certainly than they do in worship, certainly than they do reading the Bible, certainly than they do spending time with their family. And so now we're doing this thing 40 to 50 hours plus a you know, hour or so for commute. So 45 to 55 hours of the week of our lives every single week. And there's no honor in it other than the pay we receive or whatever, whatever enjoyment most people receive, you know, our, our culture has made work bad. And, 
and and even the church doesn't <laughs> doesn't elevate work to any other place. It, and and so so let's talk about what why is work so important to God? Oh man, this is a really good question. Um, most foundationally, number one, because we worship a God who works, mm. right? And we're made in this image. We can't understand why work is good for us until we understand that work is fundamental to God's character. Literally the first verb in scripture is created in the beginning. God created in the beginning. God was productive in the beginning. God worked. And this is unique in the history of world religions. Every other religion says that the gods created human beings to do the work of the world and to serve the gods. Only Christianity starts with the God who rolls up his sleeves and plants a garden in the EC Genesis two. Only Christianity starts with the God who works. That's radical. Right. And then when the image of God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus spent 80% of his adult life, not preaching, but swinging a hammer and making things with his hands. If that doesn't elevate the work that you and I do with our hands today, I don't know what does. So that, that number one, that's why we should be talking about work. Number two, work is what God created us to do in the beginning. See Genesis 1, 26 through 28. It's what he redeemed us to do post-Christ. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 says that we have been saved by grace through faith, not by works. But then he goes on in Ephesians 2.10 to say, but we have been saved for the good works that God prepared in advance for us to do, right? Mm. And that, that, that term he uses there. It's this Greek word called Aragon that we translate to good works. It does not mean spiritual tasks like evangelism and prayer. Paul uh, had Greek words at his disposal that we translate to mean evangelism and prayer. Good works here literally means work, task, and employment. Part of the purpose of your salvation is to go to work tomorrow and do it with excellence and love and in accordance with God's commands. And oh, by the way, fast forward to the end of scripture, work is what we're going to be doing for eternity. Contrary to this American caricature of heaven as a glorified retirement home in the clouds, number one, heaven is ultimately on earth. And number two, we're not just playing harps and laying in hammocks for eternity. Isaiah 65 says, my chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands and they will not labor in vain. So if God works, created us to work, redeemed us to work, and work is what we're going to be doing for all of eternity – yeah, it's probably pretty important in the present, and it probably matters greatly to God in the present. Well, and and I've, I find it fascinating. I mean, not only do have we elevated the people that don't work, right? we've created this this structure, and in the spiritual space, we've elevated the the pastor, the bishop, the leadership, who who teach us about the spiritual things but don't necessarily work with their hands. And in the corporate structure, we've elevated the, the leader. And obviously corporations need leadership and, and, and the church needs leadership. But yet Christ <laughs> swung a hammer at the, at the labor level. And so, so and, and, and all the ways that you've just defined, created to, redeemed to, <laughs> workers are, are the higher class, <laughs> Workers are the workers are what we. The, <laughs> I don't know that I go. I don't know that I go that far because I will say this. I think. Um, listen, God defines work a whole lot more broadly than we do, right? So broadly that in the Ten Commandments, 
you know, he says that on the Sabbath day, animals shall rest from their labor, right? So yeah, the, the biblical definition of work is quite broad. I, I think we can define it more easily by what it's not, right? It is, it is the opposite of leisure and rest. Mm. And all throughout scripture, we see God ordaining work with hands and work with minds. Actually, think about the Garden of Eden. It's a really good example of this, right? In Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, God is giving Adam and Eve white-collar work, naming the animals. This is knowledge work, right? And also manual labor, the work with their hands. He told them to take this garden and attend to it, right? And so all throughout Scripture, I think we see just this celebration of work. Work is a good thing. All work is inherently good. But on the other, on the other, the other side of that coin, though, and this is what can be lost sometimes in this conversation around work. Work is a good thing, but nothing but Christ is an ultimately good thing, right? Mm -hmm. So work is a gift. Work is a joy. Work existed prior to Genesis three, but in all of our excitement about the goodness of work, we can't forget that if we look to anything other than Christ for our ultimate happiness including our good gift of our family, including the good gift of money, including the good gift of work, we are always going to be disappointed in the end. We'll be right back after this short break. Do you need an increase in revenue? We help business owners find 100K in 90 days and create a roadmap for implementation. There's no pressure, just a chance to get some assistance and clarity. Scheduling is easy. Simply visit ownitcall.com and select a time that works for you. It's time for you to focus on doubling the 20% that creates 80% of your revenue. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. So you're talking about Jesus and, and obviously he's the ultimate, the ultimate joy, the ultimate reward. But y'all in the in the book you talk about the gospel has been watered down to the point where we're inadvertently putting Jesus in the position of a loser instead of Lord. Yeah. Tell me a little, tell me a little more. Expand on that. Why does why does our definition of work put put Jesus in that position? Well, I don't know if it's the definition of work, but I will say this. The, the, you, you hit the nail on the head, Robert. This really comes back to how we articulate the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ because the dominant version of the gospel preached in many churches today is what I call the abridged gospel. Mm. It, it, it is, it's essentially the good news that Jesus came to save you and me from our sins. Right. Um, and every word of that is gloriously true, but it's tragically incomplete. And what it does is it leads pastors to say, I hear pastors say this all the time. The only two things that last for eternity are God's word and people. Man, Robert, I got to be honest, nothing boils my blood more than that statement. Let me give you two reasons why. Number one, as you said, it inadvertently accuses Jesus of being loser rather than Lord. Hmm. Because in Genesis 1, God deemed all of creation, not just his word and people, all of it, the entire material world spiritual and material to be good. To then be in good. Genesis three, Satan breaks every part of God's good creation, spiritual material. And God promises in Genesis three, that a redeemer would come and not just strike Satan's head, but crush it and win back everything that was lost 
in Genesis 3. And so if redemption does not go as far as the curse of sin, then God has failed. Hmm. You see why it's so dangerous to say the only two things that last for eternity are God's word and people? To say that is to accuse Jesus of being a loser rather than Lord, but Christ isn't the loser. Satan is because of the resurrection, Christ rose from the dead as the indisputable victor and redeemer and Lord over all of creation that God called good in the beginning. That's the first reason why it matters so much that we preach the unabridged gospel, which is good news for our souls and the entire material world. Here's a second reason though, Robert, because Jesus redeemed this spiritual in the material world, we can be confident that our work with the spiritual and the material realms matters to God. If God's word and people are the only things that aren't going to burn up in the end, then the work you and I do with the material world as a sales rep or a landscaper or a brewer matters only if you leverage it to the spiritual and instrumental end of sharing the gospel with your coworkers. But because Christ has redeemed all things, spiritual material, you could be confident that the purpose of your life is far greater. If Jesus shed his blood for us and the material world, then our work with the material world, typing on aluminum map books and architecting parks and growing businesses must matter quite a bit to God. Mm. Well, and, and I think it, it it's a, a misunderstanding of heaven. You mentioned earlier that leads to a misunderstanding of that gospel in that way. Oh, yes. A hundred percent. So, so tell me a little bit more about about your understanding of, of heaven and, and why that's such an important aspect to understanding work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my, my understanding of heaven, I, I believe is, is the uh, new Testament writers understanding of heaven, which is, is essentially very, 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 very little talk about the present heaven where Lord willing, you know, God forbid, if you and I got hit by a bus today, that's where we would be. Our souls would be in the present heaven. Heaven was not the great hope of the writers of the New Testament. Their hope was for the realms of heaven and earth to be married together forever and ever. That's what all of history is racing towards. And in Revelation 21, we're told that ultimately God is dwelling with his people, not in the clouds, but right here on this earth, a earth that is purified an earth that is redeemed, that is like new, but is not a replacement earth, is a like new earth. And here's why that matters for our work. Again, we were just talking about it. If this earth is eternal and God's plan is not to obliterate this earth, but renew it, and for this to be our home forever and ever, then our work with this world matters, right? Our work with material things matters deeply to God, but there is deep deep, deep, deep half-truths about heaven floating around the church today. They're not full-blown lies, right? But they're they're incomplete enough to rob our joy and our anticipation. We say it all the time, earth is our temporary home. That's kind of true, right? But that's half true. The whole truth is earth as we know it today is our temporary home until it is our perfect, permanent dwelling place with God. And that assigns great dignity and meaning to the work we do with this world today. Absolutely. And it, and it, and it reinforces the importance of the complete gospel. 
because that's exactly right. Because it, it focuses on all of God's creation <laughs> being redeemed. Yeah, the abridged the abridged gospel is we sinned, Jesus saved us, so we can all get the hell out of here. <laughs> right? And go to the go be disembodied souls flowing in the clouds. That is a fraction of the good news that Jesus Jesus did not preach the gospel of individual salvation and evacuation. He preached well, the gospel and, of the kingdom. And I think it got caught up in the question, right? From the the 70s and 80s and the the evangelism movement was focused on the one question do you know what happens to you when you die and i i want to ask well what happens to you when you live right yes. cuz the gospel applies the minute you accept christ as your lord and savior and yes. and there's this period of time between accepting christ and this death thing that everybody's looking forward to that that we're missing out on and yeah. that's where we have to elevate work because that's what you're supposed to do during well, those times. Yeah, that's exactly right. It, you know, it, and by the way, this is the way we talk about heaven today is brand new in church history. I, prior to 200 years ago, nobody talked like this, right? The gospel is not the good news that I get to go to heaven when I die. The gospel, the good news of the gospel is that I get to cultivate heaven on earth until I die and Jesus comes back and restores all things and I get to co-labor alongside him on this new earth and reign forever and ever. See Revelation 22, 5. That's the good news of the gospel. And eternal life starts today. Heaven is not just this distant place that we go to in the future. It is a present reality breaking into this world and the kingdoms of this world right now. And the real miracle of salvation is that the moment you begin Submitting your life to Jesus Christ, you have been invited in as a co-laborer with Christ to join him in revealing more of heaven on earth in the present. Oh, it's so powerful. And and it gives meaning to every day, right? It, it, yes. Instead of looking forward to this future, you know, well, and, and this idea, right, the, that you know, everybody's waiting for Jesus, waiting for Jesus. Well, why are we waiting? Why are we, why are we painting this world as the, this, the evil is going to overtake everything idea versus this idea of, no, you can embody Christ now and you can co-labor to, for the good of the planet. Now we have a, we have a purpose. Like you said, we created for good works in Ephesians and, and those good works, are today we can make life better for each other today and and obviously the more humans that engage in that gospel and engage in that lifestyle is going to have a bigger impact for the kingdom happening here on earth but we're caught yeah. up in this idea of fear and and this the misunderstanding of what that future looks like yeah, that's exactly right. It's really sad you look around the church today and so many Christians um have interpreted Jesus's call to keep watch for his return as a call to keep watch by sitting on our hands. When Jesus made it really clear, the call is to keep watch by working with our hands, right? Like we live in the already and not yet of the kingdom of heaven. The oh. kingdom has been inaugurated, right? But we are still waiting for God to completely and permanently rip the veil between heaven and earth and consummate the marriage between these two dimensions. What are you and I called to do in the present? Yeah, we're called to keep watch, 
right? But this is not keeping watch like the American end times industry would have you believe, right? I mean, this passive sort of watching marked by endless speculation about when and where Christ will return and posting on Facebook to try to scare the crap out of your neighbors, right? <laughs> Immediately after Jesus instructed his followers to quote unquote, keep watch, you know what Jesus talked about? He launched into the parable of the talents, the story of a master who, of course, represents Christ, putting his servants to work while they wait for his return. Jesus couldn't have been any clearer. We are called to keep watch for his return, not by sitting on our hands, but by working with them. And what works specifically? The great and first commissions and first commissions to implement Christ's authority over every square inch of creation, spiritual and material, to partner with Jesus, to cultivate heaven on earth right now in your neighborhood, in your business, as it is in heaven. Mm. So, so and, and and living out the gospel in that way is so much more important than just, quote unquote, sharing the gospel. Yes. And of course, when we share the gospel on the fear-based side, all we're doing is getting somebody to accept Christ because, well, just in case, right? Rather than accepting Christ because I can be filled with this abundant life and power and 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 experience this emotional empowerment, spiritual empowerment because of the Holy Spirit's presence in my life on a on a daily basis which impacts my life, my relationships, my family, and of course, my work. Yes. <laughs> and so much so much better. But so so let's talk about the value of work. We've talked about work and I, and I feel like there's obviously, we mentioned a little earlier about, you know, you talked about, I categorized work of the mind a little separate than work with the hands. And, and you say, well, God obviously loves them both. They're both, they both matter to God. But the church and culture have elevated some work over. Oh, yeah. How do, how does, how does the Bible define it? And, and what's, what work matters? Woo, man, this is a good question. Yeah. Yeah, listen, every cultural moment, culture is going to elevate certain kinds of work. You know, right now at this cultural moment, we are really elevating um, work that is most clearly useful, uh, most clearly fixing problems in the world. Yeah, I'll just point back to 1 Corinthians 15, 58. This is uh, at the conclusion of Paul's longest exposition on bodily resurrection, right? He's pointing towards eternity in the day where we'll be physically resurrected on the new earth. And because of him pointing to eternity, modern readers almost expect Paul to be like, okay, well, in light of that future hope, what you do today doesn't matter at all. Just sit around and wait for Christ's return. That's not what he says at all. He says, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Somehow it matters for eternity, right? The question is, what is labor in the Lord? Right. What does that mean? Like what work to answer your question, Robert, what work really matters to God? I have read probably at this point, hundreds of commentaries on this passage, listen to hundreds of sermons. The best way I can summarize the consensus around this passage is any work you do in accordance with God's commands for his glory and not your own. All of that is not in vain and all of it matters for God. If you're working for your own fame, your own fortune, your own legacy, your work will perish, right? The work of your hands, it ain't going to ma matter too much in the grand scheme of eternity. But if you're working for God's glory and the good of others and the legacy of the kingdom of God, all of that labor matters to God. Whether it's 
art or the trades or running a Fortune 100 company, driving an Uber, whatever it is, all of that labor in the Lord, empowered by the Holy Spirit, done for his glory, will somehow, almost as miraculous as the resurrection itself, last into God's eternal future. And that leads, I mean, that, that's similar to the same instruction he gave in, in Colossians 3.23. Yeah. You know, do your work as as if for the Lord, but it it your definition of work changes that because so many people are caught up on the spiritual side of do your work as if for the Lord and and the the only things that matter are you know spiritual unquote, tasks yeah the, you know mission trip you take or yep. the the you know sharing the gospel with your coworker which hardly anyone ever does um, to be clear <laughs> but but if you're living and working in a way that improves life for humanity and has a purpose for honoring the Lord in, in your work, then that's the work for the Lord. It's, yes. That's so powerful, Jordan. <laughs> so, so good. <clears throat> All right. So one of the things at working with entrepreneurs a lot, we talk about the bucket list and your dream and you're building these things, but you want to tell people to make an anti-bucket list. Yeah. So I want to finish on on this idea of the anti-bucket list. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, and listen, I, I'm fine with bucket list for the record, right? Um, but I do think once we replace these half-truths about heaven peddled by culture with the whole truths we see in scripture, we see that we will have all of eternity to enjoy the best places, the best food, the best experiences this world has to offer. Because that's really the underpinning of a bucket list. It's like, this life is all we got. We better enjoy as much as we can before we kick the bucket. Yeah, that's not what we see in scripture. And furthermore, while scripture makes it clear that our entrance into the kingdom of heaven is by grace alone through faith. I want to state that crystal clearly. <laughs> the rewards that believers receive will vary widely based on how we steward this life. And for that reason, yeah, I want to see more Christians building anti-bucket lists, catalogs of things that we will strive not to do on this side of eternity so that we can accumulate as many eternal rewards as possible. Because almost every eternal reward that Scripture promises is tied to sacrifices that we make in the present. Almost all of them. Right. This is why this is why Christians feel uneasy being motivated by eternal rewards. Like, ooh, I don't know. That doesn't sit right with, with me. That doesn't feel. Listen, if you claim it's wrong to be motivated by eternal rewards, you're bringing a really serious accusation against Jesus Christ, because Jesus <laughs> right. motivated his followers a whole lot with eternal rewards. Why? Because eternal rewards require us to sacrifice in the present. And that sacrifice is not really a sacrifice. It's just wise investment advice. And so that's why I'm really intent on this anti-bucket list idea. These things I'm avoiding at all costs to maximize my chances of experiencing even greater rewards for eternity. Well, and, and recognizing that that salvation is, is for everyone and, and they're all saved yes. through grace. Amen. But the truth is there are different levels of reward in heaven and, yes. and they're based on stewardship. They're based on work. They're based on what you do in this life is going to impact the rewards you receive when you get to heaven. That's so exactly everybody's right. getting in the gate, but 
the golden road has different parking well th those trusting in christ alone <laughs> for the forgiveness of their sins are getting into the yes. game yes but the rewards that we experience there those are not equal not even close not even close Ooh. and we don't talk enough about this in the church today and part of my goal of writing this book is to help believers see how every moment that they are alive Every moment that they're at work, every diaper they change, every Uber they drive, every Zoom meeting they lead is an opportunity to accumulate more of those eternal rewards. And more importantly, just to worship God as we do that work. Psalm 37, 23 says this, the Lord, the Lord directs the steps of the godly and he delights in every detail of their lives, not just when you're sharing the gospel, not just when you're writing a check to your church, not just when you're praying before a meeting, every single thing you do at work today with excellence and love and in accordance with God's commands is an act of worship, is an opportunity to contribute to the eternal happiness of God and your eternal balance sheet, if we could be so crass. And so I'm just trying to help readers see that and respond to that radical biblical truth. Jordan, that is a fantastic place for us to end today. Thank you so much for sharing with me. Thanks for coming on the show. And I just look forward to continuing to grow and learning more through the rest of reading your book. Thank you, Robert. Thank you for tuning into this episode brought to you by the power of intentional decisions that lead to massive action. These aren't just buzzwords. They're qualities that can help you take control of your life and build a successful six or seven figure business. To support you on this journey, we're offering one of our most popular books, Fish Out Leads In, 52 Fresh Ideas for Lead Generation. You can download it free at enjoybizlife.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please show us some love by liking, subscribing, and leaving a review. But most importantly, share it with someone who needs to hear it. In our next episode, Sean Swarman and Robert talk about conquering the greatest peaks on every continent. Sean shares the power of doing something new, something challenging to reinvigorate your life, face your fears, and create new habits. Sean shares the importance of giving back and how many of his projects are built around making a contribution impacting the local community.